So all right. Can, can we touch on something here before we get too far into the podcast? The fact that Ryan, you had mentioned that doing this podcast where none of us have an income stream, make any money, get any sort of perks. This is the highlight of your week. <laughs> I, I, there's two or three other things. I mean, I like doing this. There's two other things that I probably did better this week, but good for you. Good for you. I'm glad that the podcast that makes us no income, no recognition, no money. What are you talking about, dude? There's like 80 people that listen to this I'm podcast. I'm sure some of them have listened in triplicate and accident, not realizing they left it on. Welcome back, everybody, to the Bellow Chumps podcast. We've been a little bit slacking on putting out an episode, but that's because all of us here, except for Randy, we were preparing for and riding one of our big rides of the year. Notice I didn't say a race because it's not a race, but we did the epic Ride 10,000 out of Stockton, Illinois, out in the Driftless area, 127 miles gravel ride this year. Um, It's been going on for quite a few years now. I'm going to introduce Chad Locker. He has the most experience with this ride. He's going to tell us a little bit about the history of this ride. Yeah, I think the first version of the ride was 2014. I think it came out of Freeport, and I was there, and we got rained on, and it's had gnats ever since. That is one of the downsides of this ride. But other than that, it's fantastic gravel in the northwest corner of Illinois. It is a fantastic gravel ride. Uh, Mike Green, you were there? You enjoyed the ride? Oh, yeah. It was... uh... You know what? Great, challenging fun, and it's constantly challenging. Every time you go down a hill, you know what? Within five or ten minutes, you're going to be going up something challenging. So it's enjoyable from that perspective. Yeah, this this ride is called the Ride Ten Thousand because it's allegedly ten thousand feet of climbing. Although every time I've done the full route, I've done far more than ten thousand feet of climbing. This one is probably closer to twelve thousand this year. Uh, Randy, you did it last year, and you didn't do the full route because you and Mike bailed, but you mentioned that you had 9,000 feet of climbing even after you bailed. Yeah, we so, did about 105 miles, I think it was, and it was about 9,500 foot of gain. It was a good time. Fantastic. Ryan Brainer, you also did this the ride 10,000 this year. Did you enjoy yourself this year? I did, and I got redemption last year. Mike, Randy, Chad, and myself did not finish the full route, although we all have agreed that last year's route was more difficult than this year's route. Um, So I finished. Um, I did not blow up. I did not bonk. I did not have a single cramp. I thoroughly enjoyed the day. It's awesome. I would like to point out that I did finish the race, or ride, sorry. I did finish the ride last year. You you left that detail out, so I I just wanted to I didn't mean to. I thought I said it, but if I didn't, (laughs) We still have some very... Very fatigued pictures of Eric at the end of the yeah, ride. I was very fatigued. I, I'm so glad you finished it last year, Eric, but I still stand behind my choice that bailing at the Slurp and Burp Bar at mile yep. 100 to drink beer is the best gravel decision I have made. <laughs> so this ride, I just want to point out, this ride is really what gravel riding is all about. It was a really fun time. It always is a fun time. It is incredibly good gravel riding. There's bait goods involved in this ride for people that are not training for specific races in the future. Um, it's just it's just great. And one of the uh, founders, I would call it, of the ride and, and really of the, the Midwest gravel scene 
stew electric stew he was hanging out with us at the aid stations this year cool guy and we talked to him and we're not going to go into it with in too much detail on this today because we're hopefully going to have a chance to get Stu on the pod and talk to him about the genesis of Midwest Gravel and where things were were in the past and where where they're going now and what he thinks about it. So I think that would be a great opportunity and hopefully we get a chance to talk a lot about it. But uh, what I want to talk about was specifically this ride. So Ryan, you mentioned that you didn't finish it last year and you did this year and I do know that one of the strategies you employed this year is you brought with you, technical term here, a metric shit ton of food. I sure is that did. correct? I sure did. Um, I viewed this race as a hydration electrolyte nutrition test for Leadville. So all I did at the aid stations was refill my hydration pack refill my bottles and put my electrolytes in it. And I probably didn't stop at an aid station longer than I was. I certainly wasn't at one more than five minutes. I don't think got back on my bike and kept rolling. Okay. So do you, do you really, do you really know how much you had of extra crap with you? I haven't, I kept joking with you guys that I was going to weigh it all. Um, cause I bet by the time I had two liters in my pack, my bottles and then all my food. I, you know, I, I don't, it was at least 10 pounds. If not, it was 20, it was 20 pounds. I roomed with him the night before mm-hmm. I walked back. <laughs> it, you could have just brought another bike with you. Exactly. That was my point. You had a second bike with you. So, so did, how did that feel having an entire second bike strapped to you in your bike and, and everything else? Did that honestly, feel good? Honestly, it didn't, I didn't really notice it that much. That Mm -hmm. pack was really comfortable. And I had that mini frame bag that you turned Mm -hmm. Mike and I on to. Yep. And I had the, honestly, yeah, I had the majority of it in there. I just had a few things in my jersey pockets and then my two liters on my back. It wasn't bad. I I took a picture of you. You were bulging at the seams there with everything you had going on there. I haven't seen this picture. So what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do, if you remember back a few episodes ago, we went on the Gribble Cycling Power and Speed Calculator. So I'm going to bust this thing back out here, right? <laughs> so so here's what the thing about this ride. This this ride, it was 10,000 feet of gain, but it wasn't over one or two, you know, significantly long climbs. I mean, there was a few longer-ish climbs, but what, what would you just say, Chad? The long climb in this ride was maybe like 10 minutes, maybe? Yeah, yeah there were there was no specific climb, uh, you know, ru- Roughly a mile. Like that would have been the yeah. long climb, would have been a mile long. What do you want to call it? Six to 900 feet of elevation gain tops. Yeah. It's just a lot of rollers. So all a day. lot. Of, there was tons of little punchy climbs, right? So I'm going to put this stuff in here. So we're not, I'm not even going to even consider the arrow penalty you had with all of that crap hanging off of you and in and, and all different. We're not even going to consider. We're just going to keep the arrow the same, right? So what I said is with the gravel bike, your normal gravel bike with your normal gear and stuff you had it on, and I said it's 8.15, 8.15 kilograms. That's what I put in there. That's normal. You have a light, you have a light gravel bike, you have a crux. So when you add your normal stuff onto it, right? And then, you know, weight of rider, we're not I just said 80 kilograms. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna ask you to get on a scale, but that's you know, fair, fair, close enough. So what I said is, all right, a lot of these punchy hills we had, the average gradient on them, let's say is five percent. I mean, some of them are steeper, but let's say 5% over the course of the entire, you know, three quarters of a mile on these punchy, punchy climbs. That sound about right to you? 
Chad, Mike's that sound yeah. good for the for the calculation. Let, let's use that for the calculation. All right. So, so to hit, and and I'm going to put 16 kilometers an hour. That's 10 miles per hour. That's not fast. This is not climbing up this hill at a at a breakneck pace, right? 16 kilometers an hour. You would have to put at that amount. You would have to put 233 watts, Ryan. 233 watts. Okay to get up that hill average over the course of the, that climb right now 20 pounds that's nine kilograms about if i add an additional nine kilograms to you and we recalculate according to this calculator here i gotta think by the way his extra weight was worth probably 10 pounds but go ahead i'm going with chad on 20 it was it was significant 256 watts so that's an additional 23 watts penalty you were paying there to carry a metric shit ton of extra calories and, and nutrition with you. That's that's a significant amount of watts, man. Twenty three watts. Well, let's let's be fair. He only had to carry that over the first hill. <laughs> a little bit less every hill after that. Okay. <laughs> well, that's why I don't know. Did you how, how many times did you go to the bathroom on the course? You know what I mean? <laughs> like it, it wasn't like it was like you were pouring it out on the side of the road. That's why I was last up that first hill. <laughs> Ryan was channeling his uh, inner Zwift avatar with all his, uh, all his bulging. So, his- so, so Ryan, all, all joking aside, I, you, you probably did have to put down some extra watts to, to move all that crap. And I'm not even joking, seriously. But, but I do want to ask you this question: You did two things on this ride. You did a, you know, pretty intense nutrition strategy, bringing 20 pounds of crap with you. But you also rode this ride at a pace that you can finish the ride of 127 miles, not the pace that I can finish or the pace that Chad can finish. So the question I have is if you rode that pace that you could finish in, did you really need to bring 20 pounds of additional extra calories and nutrition and whatnot? I for sure did not because I think so Mike and uh, Eric and I had a call with our coach the other day after to kind of summarize our ride and go over what we executed well and I mentioned to you guys at about five and a half hours I was processing the food I just like I wasn't hungry anymore and I couldn't eat anymore so after five and a half hours I only ate one more of my bars I continued to eat a gel every hour so I ended up with basically this whole thing still full of nutrition that I never touched. <laughs> so, so you didn't need to bring the 20 pounds. You could have saved some watts, man. Which is also why I said I did two like real food bars and then one gel. And I think for Leadville, I'm going to flip it and do two gels and yeah. one real bar. <clears throat> I think the learning from this is sometimes, sometimes just got to ride your bike. Just got to ride your bike. I will say the pickles that Stu had. Oh man! A ninety-mile checkpoint station. I I felt like crap, and then I ate one of those pickles, and we got back on course. I'm like, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. That was the best pickle I've ever had in my life, and it totally fixed my stomach. I'm like, that was amazing. So I don't know how you can carry if you can carry cloths and pickles, Ryan. That'd be good. Um, yeah. Level, I think you'll be set. Yeah. Well, that's the isn't that the whole science behind like uh, hot shots and. Maybe, pickle juice I don't know, man, but those pickles were good. All it, those... was a, it was legit pickle. It was good. I thought all those cramp things, that was the whole science behind them, is they they do something to you that kind of stuns your body and makes all the bad juju go away. 
<laughs> I Mike, that sounds it. like something you would know about, Mike. That sounds like something you'd be selling us on. <laughs> it is. He it had is. Him. He had hot shots with him that day. Yeah, you know, uh, but it, it's it. You know, Chad said it, it sat well in his stomach. That's not one of the the marketing uh, bullet points of hot shot or pickle juice. So. Well, I want to give a shout out to Electric Stew's wife because she made some incredibly good baked goods. And I was enjoying myself while I was waiting for Chad at the 90 mile rest stop. I probably had like eight different baked goods while I was waiting. So so I appreciate you, Chad, giving me a chance to sample the entire selection of baked goods that were that were there. I think I rode with Eric for the first 20 miles. And for part of the last 20 miles, but that, that bit in the middle, I don't know where he was. I was like, well, he's gone. It's all good. I mean, I, I told, but I told you, Eric, right? I said, go ride your pace because there's nothing, there's nothing worse than riding somebody else's pace. Like it, I was fine. I had headphones. I could plug them in. I was in my own little zone, but it was cool. I showed up. Eric's there, ate my pickles, chilled out for a bit. Yeah. Stu had some of the best spread. I don't know if that was Stu, if that was Rafa, who put that all on, but those were some well-stocked aid stations. Some oh, of the absolutely. Best I have ever and, seen and, at any Honda. And I do want to point out, this was a free event. This was not yeah. any, a paid event in any way. It was, like, loosely organized, but, you know, no sponsors in terms of, you know, it's not like people had big, were selling things and had samples and signs and none of that. But it was still better like you said much better done than a lot of the you know paid fondo type events events i've been to in the past i i would argue it was it was well organized you had to kind of be on the social media feeds right you had to be on instagram and, and those kind of channels if you and if you had done it before you sort of were expecting it to come up so you're looking for it i you know that gave you all the info you sort of to need you got in your car, you drove to Stockton, right? From wherever you were near the Midwest, usually Chicagoland, right? And it was well put on. There were Now there was no, I can't recall, I don't think we signed a waiver for this. Normally you do for a ride, but this was self-supported, go out on your own. But in addition to the aid stations, there were what I would call, what do you want to call them? Uh, trailside angels or whatnot. Like there were, oh, a few yeah. ad hoc, there were like a few ad hoc stations. Yep. I stopped at one. They had water, they were selling stuff on the side of the road, kids trying to make a buck. Yep. I'm like, that's that bit of community that even helps just make it even better. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was a fantastic event. And really, to me, that is what doing gravel rides is really about. And hopefully we'll get a chance to get into that with Stu a little bit in, in a future future episode. But that was just if, if anyone has the opportunity to come out and do this ride, it is incredible. It's the scenery is incredible. It will challenge you. It's not a race, but some people rode it like a race. There were a few people that were, you know, off the front the whole day, rode like 18 miles per hour. But it's not a race. There's no finishers. There's no podium. There's no medals. The only thing you get for finishing is satisfaction that you you got through all of that. And it is satisfying. And it's enjoyable. And it's just an, it's just an excellent event. And, you know, it, unfortunately, you can't find a lot of those around these days. But luckily enough, we have one in our backyard and... I would definitely recommend anyone that has a chance to come out and do it. And, and there's, there's two shorter courses. So yeah, the yeah, you don't have to do the 127 or 130 or whatever 40, they do. 40, 80, and then the full. Yeah, and all of them are excellent, excellent courses. Whatever level of fitness you have, do the one that is most appropriate for you, and you will have a great time. I will say, for me, this really um, re-energized me. You know, like, we've been 
pretty hardcore interval structured training all winter long. Mike and I are, you know, like 70 some days away from Leadville. And this was just, I went out, I enjoyed the day. I executed my plan. I wasn't really paying attention to any of the metrics on my bike other than making sure I didn't go over too much. And so I just thoroughly enjoyed the day and it was a nice little re-energizing, like why I love bikes. Well, he was enjoying it until he had to drive home. Yeah, yeah. Then, <laughs> then it was all done, and thus we have the circuitous link to the Josh Porter episode, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Ryan, what happened on your way home? Um, I was an hour away from home. I went to go take a drink to try to start my rehydration process, and I hit something in... I was getting back into Chicago suburbia. And so there's four lane expressway people going 180 miles an hour. And I got a driver's side rear flat tire and there was, it wasn't salvageable. So I had to, you know, get out the Jack, put the donut on and try not to get obliterated by an 18 wheeler on the side of the road. Luckily, Chad, thank you so much. I told him he did not have to stop. He still stopped and helped me out. All in all, it took us, I think, less than 40 minutes to get back on the road. Um, anyway, there was a place open on Memorial Day. I got my tire fixed, and I'm still alive. Yeah, he didn't use the uh, he didn't use the Silka tire pressure calculator to get the optimal tire pressure in his car for the road conditions. See, well, like Randy leave... is using it now, right? You got to scold these people. So the so... Silka segue we'll leave to Chad. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. So Ryan texts us. Like I left. I think I was the last guy out of the McDonald's parking lot. Yep. I got I got fuel and then I hit the road. So you guys are probably 15, 20 minutes ahead of me on the road. So Ryan sends us all like a group chat text. Oh, I got a flat. And Eric's chiding him like, well, better on your car than on your bike. Right. <laughs> Whatever reason that was. So I'm, I'm like, I, and I'd forgotten about it after that. I didn't realize like Ryan and I are kind of on the same. Like I'm heading back to Ohio. He's heading to New Lenox. I didn't realize he's on 290. And so I look over like, hey, look, there's a Subaru on the side of the road changing the flat. I'm like, hey, what if that's Ryan? And the first thought I had in my head was, I'm going to pull over and help him. And the second thought was, oh, I could give him encouraging advice, much like George Costanza's father would yell at somebody on the side of the road. Yes. So I don't really think I was any help for Ryan other than just yelling at him on the side of the road for 99% of the day that I was there with him for that 40 minutes. Like, hey, there's semi-trucks. And Ryan is kind of like, I realize how stressed you are. You kind of just need somebody else who's not in the moment with you when you're at that. So Ryan is kind of frazzled, and I'm just there on the side of the road like, not my flat. What do I care? (laughs) (laughs) I can kind of think logically here at this moment. And he he does. He did a great job. He got the donut on the car and everything. And then he sets the jack stand down. And we were all guilty of this, right? Who among us has ever checked the air in the spare tire in their car? None of us. Okay. (laughs) If you're you're the guy that does it once a year or gal, great for you. But I don't think I've ever checked it in my car. He sets the Subaru down and that thing looked pretty much flat. Like it did look much different. Like it looked slightly better than the tire that came off. Like, Ryan, I would dare you got that thing. He's like, I I don't know. So luckily, for whatever reason, I have my Soka pump in my car. (laughs) Not just for my bike. This is is serious? It's serious. Not just for my bike, but I've got a slow leak on the front tire of my Accord. So I actually use this like at work. Like I pump the tire up. Like one day I should get it fixed, but it takes a month. It goes flat. So I had it in the back of the. I'm like Ryan. I got the silver pump. I'll go get it. We, we put the trainer valve attachment on, and the two of us took turns. Because if you've ever tried to inflate, no, I've never leak, even thought of doing that. 
You have tried to inflate a completely flat car tire with a Pista track pump. It's like, that's why it took 40 minutes. It was 10 minutes to change the tire. It was, a half to pump it, up. it was a half hour. And he and I had to trade off, like, pumping up that stupid. <laughs> we, we got it up to, like, 50 PSI, the side of the, the spare donuts, like, 60. Like, 50 is going to get you home, Ryan, and I'm done pumping this thing, right? <laughs> It worked. He got home. That's I just got to imagine what the people driving past you were thinking at that time. <laughs> given, given the fact that you know, nine out of ten motorists would get over and give us like a clear lane, and then that tenth motorist, whether they were a semi-truck driver, an ambulance, uh, an old Hyundai, they didn't really care. It was like, let's buzz the guys well, changing the tire. I mean, tire if you're pumping up the tire with a Silka Pista pump, you probably got to see every manner of car going by because it took you forever to do it. Not, not if you were on the pump. If you were the other guy watching traffic, yes. But if you were on the pump. So, I like, I love the next day <laughs> ride. Like, man, I did all those hills. My arms are sore from the ride. I'm like, that had nothing to do with the ride, dude. That was, the, that was pumping up the tire after the ride. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's, Ryan, that's incredible. You know, Ryan, Mike, you know, have you Ryan, ever... We talked about this when we just got done riding a couple minutes ago, and Ryan failed to mention that part of it. So thanks, Chad, for filling Right, yeah, we, we talked about this story. The we didn't story. realize it. <laughs> makes the story. We're saving so, it for the podcast. Oh, my so God. I'll tell you, if you would never have thought to have done this, there is a Schrader valve adapter on a Soka Piston Pump. I'm... You could thread it onto your car tire, and if you have enough time and enough patience, you could get a car tire to 35 PSI in the parking lot where you work pretty easily, but that 60 PSI for the spare donut on the side of 290 in Chicago mm, takes a little bit longer. That's all I got to say. Wow. <laughs> I've, I have done but this with my, not... I've done it with my Lee Zion pump because it's got that flip chuck that threads on the, the, and, um, yeah. the hand pump, Mike, you're yeah. hand pumping your, your car tire. Yeah. So one of my, <laughs> Maz, one of my Mazdas was like at 23 PSI and I'm like, ah, instead of firing up the air compressor, I'm just going to, hook up my my design pump and uh you quickly learn all of the marketing hype of why they sell a mountain bike pump or a, a gravel bike pump and they call them high volume versus high pressure the high volume is what's needed for these bigger tires that are still only 30 or 35 psi and uh even though you know my design pump that was a, a road bike uh pump but it still took to, to go from like 23 PSI to 35 took like 700 pumps. So yeah, what Chad is saying is <laughs> it's, and the thing is, is like you get started and you Guys. think to yourself, it's only going to be 10 more pumps. So you do 10 and you're like, a oh, uh, quarter PSI. It's only going to be like 15 more pumps. But you, and then at some point you just become uh, resist or reluctant to to actually get out the air compressor and do it like a real person. <laughs> guys, so. guys, you, you understand that bicycle tire pumps are not engineered for car tires. Like you understand this, right? But had Chad not had had Chad not but, had that pump, I wouldn't have been, probably made it home. It it, it will work. Oh. And here's the other fact. You work 275 pumps into a 400 pump job. It's like, nah, whatever. I don't really care at this point. <laughs> yeah, but but what I said is what I said is the the part that you're referring to, Eric, is there's nothing wrong with using it. It's just the fact that it's a low volume pump. Mm -hmm. So it's gonna it's gonna take all those pumps, and it's it's not gonna be bad for the pump itself, but it's not moving a lot of air. Yeah, you know? exactly. Until it overheats and like you know melts well, in your hand. Other than that, you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that, I that's so. but that's not going to happen with the overly built. Oh no, current 
like, no, 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 not with the Silka big, pump. No, no, for sure. Not with the Silka. That, but I might need a new cork in it now. Yeah, like cork water. Yeah, for that sure. Little you need to rebuild it, right? But I may need to rebuild. But I've used it. I've pumped up my tire at work numerous times over the last year. Ryan's is probably the most work I've ever done on it in recent. But the thing packs flat. The chunkier yeah. car. It's like Josh is not marketing this thing for the secondary use of the lazy guy who won't <laughs> go to disc tire and get the tire valve fixed. On the car. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's that is a good advertisement, but I mean, I, I don't think that's the market he's going for, Chad. Sorry. It comes in handy at gravel races, but I've probably used that pump as much on my car as on my bike. Maybe wow. maybe we can get you a cork, you know, Josh Portner, friend of the pod. Yeah, can, I, can, I, I doubt it. You. I don't think so. Here, <laughs> Josh, can I get ten percent off the next rebuild kit because I'm I'm abusing my soak pump? Oh. No. Oh, all right. Well, that was good. That was a good story. I like that. Have to congratulate Randy for having a birthday this week. Yay! Yeah, happy and birthday, so, man! The big five zero. Yeah, and on the and on the, <laughs> I don't think so. But and then on the chat, right? What did I ask you? Did you do for your birthday? Me for my birthday, I went out for a bike yeah. ride. Yeah, but what did I specifically ask as a question? Did you do this for your birthday? Which was, did you buy a celebratory birthday LA LA Sprint? Did you buy like another one? I thought you were referencing my red hook, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> no, no, I know. He thought you bought another one. That is a confetti That's actually why... red hook, right? So it's a celebratory red hook. So, I but I mean, so I'm sorry, not to cut you off there, Ryan, but I mean, Specialized even teed it up for you to sell you another Allay this week. I know. That's what I was going to say, is I was going to say, actually, Specialized released the new bike just for Randy. Yeah. They were like, this guy will buy anything with the word LA. Quick, get it out there now. <laughs> I I have I have been waiting for a very specific colorway for my next LA purchase. Yeah, this this bike is not for you, Randy. This is not an LA sprint. It is a just an LA. Just so LA. it's really not your uh it's not it's not what you want. I mean, maybe it is what you want, but it's it's not because it's not an LA sprint. I, I think you need a second commuter bike, Randy. I'm working on it. I'm finding a yeah. very specific colorway LA that I'm looking for. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so has anyone looked into this bike? Anyone know anything about this bike? The new LA that <clears throat> just, just dropped? I think that this is a relevant topic for chumps because it is the new... For, for a long time, the Specialized LA has been a one of the solid choices for entry into the road bike game. And... This the LA that has been on the market for like five years without an update. It's been pretty, it's been pretty long time since Specialized did much with it with the base model. So anyone get have any details on this thing? I mean, I've looked into it a little bit. I mean, I don't know every nook and cranny of it, but well, I mean, short version is I'll tell you the short version, so you can then comment on this, Chad. So it has a little bit more um, Roubaix-like geometry, we'll call it. It's somewhat more relaxed. It's not a, you know, crit race geo, right? Yep. It is a disc-only model. So that is the big change. The previous model up until probably there's still some in-bike shops at as we speak. But the previous model, LA Base, was a rim brake frame. This one is now a disc brake frame. Um. It has two two levels. <clears throat> the the higher end level has Tigra with uh, hydraulic disc brakes. The lower end one is Claris um, 
Sunrace cassette, KMC chain, and Tektro mechanical uh, disc brakes. So that's what we're looking at here. I think it's about, I think it's twelve hundred for the the base base one and eighteen hundred for the the one with Tiagra. So it's on. So the Tiagra and the Tiagra is that a mechanical brake or a hydraulic? no no hydraulic hydro brake on that one. All right. And then you know some some basic stock wheels. I don't think the wheels are anything to write home about at all. Right. Well, what. So I had to skim it real quick because the one big thing for me that I wanted to make sure about with coming with disc brakes, coming as a complete bike, is is did it have the conventional road bike, let's say through axle instead of a QR? Yes, it does. Bike. It ha Actually, that is a nice detail of this bike. It comes with the same through axles that are on my tarmac, as an example. It has the nice, so, the nice road through axles. So for, for $1,800 <clears throat> and through axles and everything on this bike, you know, a, a proper hydraulic disc brake bike, something mm -hmm. that out of the store, I believe will, will work probably just as good as a one Oh five bike. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think any of us would really notice the difference. I, I suspect that 10 speed shifts as good as any 10 speed Shimano group has ever shifted. So there's no problem there. And why I really cared about that through axle was I could envision if this is a great gateway bike to get into road cycling, I'm fine with that geo because I think if it's somebody's mm -hmm. first bike, a more relaxed geo is even better but you know you get that itch they're not going to want to buy that next bike maybe but they might be willing to buy a set of zips or some other mm -hmm. high-end skill to kind of be that first upgrade and so i do think it's key that they're able to to not have to sacrifice on the wheels or buy something pretty cheap right like universally right now if you want new upgraded wheels it's the 12 millimeter right through yep. axle standard for flat mount road correct so seeing that you could put the next level of roval wheel or zip or whatever on it i gotta admit i I kind of like this bike, right? I mean, there's no cables through the headset. Mm -hmm. There's as conventional as any other LA Sprint or any other, let's say, carbon fiber or aluminum bike that we've had for about the last decade. So um, price-wise, I, I can't really complain about it. I, if the review said anything, like, is it so heavy that no one can actually ride it? or is it no, no, nothing like that. I mean, the reviews I've seen said that it rides nice. I mean, it's obviously not a race geometry, and you're not going to – you shouldn't be, you know, if you want to race geometry, you can get the the LA Sprint or this new Trek Imonda ALR or something like that. But if for, you know, it uh, allegedly, obviously I haven't rode one, but allegedly it rides very well for what it is. So, that, again, I it's one of the few times I can't really make fun of Specialized for the price. It sounds like <laughs> a decent bike, honestly. I mean, unless the wheels are so heavy that you really are forced to upgrade right out of the box. But if that's not the case, sounds like a good bike. So I, I, I agree. I agree. It sounds like a good bike. And I personally would be more than happy to, for example, buy this bike for my kid. If he was going to get into road, road riding, for example, knowing, knowing that I know how to maintain this kind of a bike. Now the, um, question I have though, from a chump perspective. So we're not talking about from a hardcore cyclist perspective because most hardcore cyclists aren't going to buy this bike. This is a get you into the sport type of bike, right? Yeah. That Specialized is going to tempt you with a $1,200 um, mechanical disc brake version of this bike, right? Because, you know, obviously even I think it's 1200 $1,200 to 1800 is a big difference, right? I mean, that's a... 50% increase in cost from one to the next, right? And 
I know that this doesn't make sense from a business perspective from Specialized, but at that level, for someone that's really only looking to spend $1,200, would it have been better to have a rim brake frame versus a mechanical disc frame? And part of the reason I say that is that hydraulic disc brakes, it's not that they are necessarily so much better braking, but hydraulic systems are self-correcting on the pads. They, they maintain the right pad gap. Whereas with mechanical disc brakes, it's not even like the old rim brakes where you had the barrel adjuster where you could tighten the rim down, you know, the, uh, the caliper down a little bit. Like you really literally have to do maintenance on that thing as the brakes are wearing, the pads are wearing down. Or you could find yourself in trouble and not being able to stop. So I wonder if there is a, if it would have been better to release that base, base, base model as a rim brake version. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Or did they even really need a new one or could they have just kind of kept selling the old one with a, a rim brake? Yeah, yeah, or that, yeah. They, didn't they have an older one? The, the, the old Sprint. I mean, the one thing about those old ones, and Curry actually has that older um, LA and in, in, in when I'm looking at the specs, this frame actually is a decently weighted frame at 1300, 13 and some change grams, 1300 and some change grams. So that's that's a fairly light frame cons when you cross compare it to the old um, LA uh, non-sprint version. So I think that they actually did an upgrade on the frame. If they went with the rim brake, it may, it may be overall lighter than the old version. So... I think if they wanted to do something, they probably could have at least altered the engineering of this frame to be a rim brake that would ultimately be lighter than those old LAs. I think that was the knock on those old LAs. They were just so damn heavy. Well, but we're talking about not the the LA Sprint. We're talking about the base base model, which, like I said in the beginning, right. they do. You probably have them on the floor at bike shops right now that didn't sell out, sell out yet. Weren't and that's a good point, Chad. Maybe they just could have kept that one alive, so to say, right? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think that there's benefits to having the the rim brake. I mean, the the disc brake in, in a, some sort of way. But it it. I don't know if there's a good. I don't know. I don't know if the level of detail you need from a maintenance point of view for the even for the mechanical rim brakes, because of the fact that they're not self whatever you want to call whatever the hydraulic does like self-correcting the pad width. I, I feel yeah. like there's a risk there. So there, so there's been a, a couple of thoughts here. So one for the mechanical, um, disc brake there, there have been better versions of the mechanical disc brake. Like, like TRP did have a, I think the Spire, which was a fully mechanical disc brake where the actuation arm did move both pads. So when the arm backed off, it did pull both pads mm -hmm. away from um the the disc now you still unlike hydraulics as the pad wears correct that's what i'm saying have, you still did have to do some sort of click up um over time of the pad but in general it was not even i even had the horrible bb7s right which everyone liked them when they came out but they were pretty much trash um even those on a bad rainy ride it wasn't like midway through a, a bad muddy ride you were having to click up the right. pads to the end so it was more one of these things that would creep up on you over a period of time so I, I'm not a fan of, of the mechanical disc brake. That being said, I think in this era, if you were to buy the Allay, I think the bike has to be disc for the kind of the reasons I mentioned, upgradability. If you're going to put a new group set on it over time or a new wheel set, unquestionably, you cannot sell a rim brake bike. True. There are no 
there are no rim brake group sets to upgrade it to number number one. You're probably not going to find a great set of wheels at the bike shop number two. So at least from that future standpoint, it has to be all disc. The other only way I would have really liked to have seen it maybe stay rim brake. I mean, you've got one at your house, right? Yep. Isn't that what you like? The old Olay rim brake. Yep. The problem is even the old Olay rim brake didn't come with like the Claris crank or the good Shimano brakes, right? It always right. had like a tech yep. brake and a, and a downgrade crank. So I think if they were going to bother to leave it rim brake, at least make it a full complete component set that worked decently, maybe even make it Sora. But again, once you did that, would the price of the bike now be such to the point where you might as well just go buy the Tiagra hydraulic? I, those could have been considerations as yep. well. So I, again, as much as I love rim brake, I, I don't <laughs> even know I can get behind it in this case. And I want to, I really would like to recommend it, but I just think there's so few options going forward for rim brake that for the most of the consumers, it's probably becoming moot. And I'm sad to say that. Yep. Uh, and the other point is going back to what we talked about with Josh Portner last week is that, Nowadays, riding 28s is normal. So whether it's a hydraulic or a mechanical rim brake, you still have the option to ride 30s. I think this thing can clear 32s at least. So you can ride the wider tires that are the, you know, what's modern these days, even if, it, if, if you're sacrificing a little bit with mechanical discs versus, um, versus hydro. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Because if you think about it, I think 25 is the normal for a rim brake LA. Now you're probably not going to find a 25 seat tire much anymore. Right. That's true. 28 will be the normal. So even then we've, we've got yet another reason it has to go disc. So. Yep. So that being said, so we like this bike and we understand why it went to, um, disc entirely. And we understand that, you know, maybe having a hydraulic disc at the low end would have been price prohibitive to really create an, a good entry level bike down at that 1200 price point for, for a brand like specialized, let's say. And, you know, maybe even to some extent, hydraulic disc brakes are even more complicated to overall maintain versus the hydro versus the uh, mechanical ones. I mean, when you have the mechanical ones, you don't have to worry about bleeding them. You don't have to worry about any sort of like any of those, you know, hydraulics things that are going on. It's easier to change the pads in a mechanical um, disc brake. So that maybe there are some, some benefits to it right however i want to bring this up and i don't know if you've heard this story chad if you've been ignoring our our chat you've been like not very uh a good you know velo chumps member in the last few days but i'm, I'm, I'm sorry i actually you have, have a, a job? job oh man i have to do three now and then sorry <laughs> well some of the rest of us oh actually all of the rest of us have jobs some of us don't have to go to a job like a work like a workplace but we all have jobs, but we manage to keep up with. But anyway, so it was really interesting to be after that we had the, the conversation with Josh Portner last week. My dad sends me an email. So we do hear this, Chad. He sends me an email and he says, hey, I'm thinking about getting a new bike, not because I don't like my old bike, but I had to take it into the shop for maintenance. And it was in there for three weeks. And if if I'm going to have a bike in the shop for three weeks once a year, I want to have a bike, another bike I can ride. And I'm like, great, you know. Everyone should have a backup bike. I fully support this, Dad. Fully. You should definitely buy another bike, right? But here's the thing. His bike is relatively new. He had 2,000 miles on his bike. Okay, Chad? He's 70 years old. The guy is not 
you know, he's not ripping down crazy mountain descents and putting crazy, like, he's not doing workouts with crazy sprint watts in it or anything. I mean, like, he rides a lot. I mean, 2,000 miles in a year for a 70-year-old, that's pretty good, right? But it's 2,000 miles of a 70-year-old riding this bike. He took it in for spring tune-up, chain, cassette, rear rotor, pads, headset bearing. All of that, the bike shop said he needed to replace and replaced it. $600 for his service, right? Okay. Which I told him, first of all, I'm not going to accuse his bike shop of upselling him stuff, but I feel like those components, other than the chain, probably should have lasted more than 2,000 miles. So, I, I'm i in agreement with you. <laughs> I'm going to try and play devil's advocate. Number one, I think what your dad has what, a diverge? Yes. Like a gravel bike. Your dad probably rides mostly towpath? Um, actually, probably more road than towpath. But yeah. Okay, so I... I was wondering if he was on towpath. Is he kicking up enough grit and grime and not cleaning at the fork base that he could have worn out the lower headset bearing? I'm, I'm trying to figure out in 2,000 miles you wear out a headset bearing if you're not riding yeah. in rain or adverse grit. That that would be my first question mark. I'm also sort of questioning the, the rotor mm-hmm. from the standpoint. I mean, he does live in Pittsburgh, right? Yep. So there are some hellacious hills yep. to break on. Um, and maybe I'm an anomaly out there. I have yet to ever throw away a disc rotor because i've scored it or burnished it or toasted it on my road bike so bad that it was beyond use so i just i don't know how heavy a big of a guy your dad is or how aggressively he rides if he's breaking that hard to wear out the rotor i could maybe see the pads if they were contaminated mm-hmm. that that kind of thing i'm not gonna ever fault chain and cassette because i just yeah. don't know the intervals of that sure. but maybe Maybe it needed it. Maybe. But it does seem, it's since he just got the bike, right? I mean, that's just last year's 2000 was what he rode all mm-hmm. last year on yeah. particular bike. So, I I don't know. Maybe it was maybe it was due. But any any of the rest of you ever wore out a rotor and thrown one out? Why, but I haven't worn out a, a rotor. But I have a couple thoughts. Did you tell your dad about your friend Randy that your dad has way more miles than him, but Randy spent like four times the amount of money? on bike components. <laughs> no, I and, did not tell even, him about that. And even has like seven backup bikes. Mm-hmm. I, I did not tell him about that. But maybe if he listens to the show, I don't know if he will. Maybe if he does now, he'll know. Your uh, dad's not a former uh, offensive lineman that weighs like 380 no, pounds going no. down the hills in Pittsburgh. No, not nothing like that. No. But I haven't, I, mean, I, I haven't worn out a rotor either in, in, in the same way like you're talking about, Chad. I mean, my, my rotor on my SL7, which has something like 15,000 miles, is like right on the edge of being too, too thin to pass the, uh, the spec according to, you know, what Shimano says, how thick the rotor should be. So it's like right there. So, yes, I'll, I'll need to change that, that rotor here soon. Well, I don't want to accuse the bike shop of upselling your dad, but... I'm accusing the bike shop about selling your dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't this, isn't this, an, isn't this, uh, you know, a, a lesson that we've learned in the car industry? And, and, you know, I know we reference the car industry a lot, but isn't this a lesson we learned where, where, and I, and I, and please forgive the analogy and, and this may be edited out if needed, but you know, <laughs> when, when our, when our, well, when, when our significant others, our female significant others take their um, cars into the shop, we are always a little bit suspect when they go in and they, 
come out with a very large bill of all of these things that need to happen. Well, now, you know, us unknown, several, you know, unfamiliar consumers of, of bicycles walk into a bike shop, you know, they don't, they, they're just going, they're relying on the experts to guide them, right? Quote, unquote, mm-hmm. experts to guide them. They don't actually know whether or not they need these things because we're, for the most part, and I would say the vast majority of the population that rides bikes, as we've discussed, are uneducated consumers. Mm-hmm. So we're, they're the perfect target. You know, if you're bringing it into the bike shop, they're the perfect target. Bike shops have to create revenue for themselves. We know the most mm-hmm. revenue is not on the margin of the bike, but rather the services that they deliver in the, in the service area. So they have, if you bring a, if you bring a bike into a shop, 90% of the time, you're going to walk out with a bill of some sort because that's the way they create revenue for themselves. And, and, you know, and poor unsuspecting souls. And I don't want to say that is your father, you know, depending on, on what type of disposable income they think they have, the bill may be larger than, you know, what, mm-hmm. we, what they would normally do on a more, you know, more informed consumer that may come in and be very specific in their wants or needs. Yeah, that's so, fair enough. Yeah. Randy's point is well made. Uh, and I would also say it's similar to, uh, you know, you go to the car dealership and they say that's $1,200 for us to do a trans flush. Well, you're going to walk out and you're going to say, I'm going to find an independent mechanic and I'm going to get a second quote. And then they tell you 400 bucks. So then you go there instead. So maybe that's one of those scenarios where he, I know you want to stick with your local bike shop where you got it from, but maybe he could have gone to another place. Mm-hmm. Of course, he, he didn't know what was right or wrong or expensive. And in the same respect, what if the mechanic from that shop listens to the Velo chumps and he says, you know, these guys are always talking about the various things that are making these bikes unsafe in the <laughs> consumer's hands. I'm going to, yeah, it doesn't need rotors, but yeah, it could use cleanup, mm-hmm. good, better ones. It could use a headset because it is dusty and it, it was sweat on and well, yeah, the chain is still within spec, but if he's going to ride it, I don't want it snapping on him later this yeah. year. So we might as well, you know, do it in advance and so maybe this was the overhaul to make it perfect and a hundred percent. He did. He did say it rides better, but the probability of that mechanic listening to this podcast is basically zilch. So that, that's not let, that's not something we need to worry about. Let, let me level what? up my conspiracy theory one more time. I just I, I have to because here here here's the other part when we were talking about the LA and the price point of the LA and maybe the entry level consumer having to take it back to the bike shop. I, I, I went to your dad's story that you shared with us earlier, Eric, in my head, and I'm glad you brought it up. But who's driving that recurrent revenue theme, right? Could it be from the manufacturers? Because obviously one of the things that you know we know that the manufacturers need, they're not making huge margins on the bike. Well, on the high end bikes, they certainly are, but on the low end bike, not so much. They may anticipate upgrades, as Chad referenced earlier. But what if they're driving the, the, their recurrent revenue through product dis- distribution, you know, reselling, you know, um, rotors and chains and those type of things? Obviously, their margins probably higher on those small component level items as opposed to the entire build. So they want these they want these bike shops to use their components because ultimately that's driving their revenue as well so where is it uh, it could be where is it where, i'm sorry i know i'm really into the weeds on, conspir- but, on conspiracy theory but i was just thinking through that I, I think that's a good point because it comes back to what my point about the new la sprint with having the disc brakes even the mechanical disc brakes it starts to create the opportunity for 
higher and more costly or, you know, whatever you want to call it, more complicated and costly repair and maintenance of these bikes. So it's now, I guess if I go back to the, to the rim brake bike, maybe it was cheaper to maintain, even though we, we just discussed how we can't have that anymore for all of the reasons we discussed. But now are we locked into, it's fairly normal for uh, someone that's new into cycling to end up with a $600 repair bill every year because that's what's what's going down. And who knows if, if you bring in your disc brake into a shop and they, and you sit there and saying it's rubbing or it's not breaking well. And they sit there and say, well, you know, you have the XT ice tech disc on there. You might want to consider a higher end disc, like an Altegra mm-hmm. or a Dura ace. And there you go. There's, there's the episode. I'm not suggesting that that happens, but I'm suggesting that probably happens from time <laughs> to time. Could. One question I have is, did they just do all that stuff and then your dad came in to pick up the bike and was like, $600? Or did they actually call him and say, hey, Eric, we we looked over your bike and this is what we'd like to do. It, this would be the cost. And is that okay with you? Yeah. Because that's another... I, I didn't ask him that question, but he did say that they allegedly showed him the cassette where it needed to be, why it needed to be replaced. So I, I suspect that they went over all that with him, which is fine. Um but the other thing that I asked him, what was interesting, I said, and, and there's two pieces of this story. So I asked him, I said, okay, so they gave you a new rotor and new pads on the rear. Okay. Did they tell you how to bed that brake in? And he didn't know what I was talking about. And then I explained to him what bedding disc brakes in is. And I said, did they tell you to do anything like that? He said, no. And I said, okay, well, it's probably fine because you probably did it anyway. Most people that are riding that aren't riding like super aggressively probably end up bedding their brakes in. So I didn't want them to make feel bad or anything. But to me, that's something that they should tell you if they if, or it, like they should do it for you. But I'm guessing a lot of bike shops don't have a bedding machine. But that's part of installing disc brakes. And they should tell you about that. The other thing was when he bought the bike new, you all will love this. He had um, I, I didn't I didn't realize it came like this, but it came with uh, tubeless. It came with a tubeless setup and he didn't know about it. He never had tubeless brake or tubeless wheels and tires before in his life. And he said he's riding it one day and he came back into the garage and noticed that there was like stuff. He said it's like white stuff spraying out of his tire and he didn't know what it was, and he took it back to the bike shop, and they explained it to him. He's like, well, I don't want that. I want tubes. And then the bike shop put tubes back for him. So without, like, and then I was explaining to him what, why that, he's like, oh, I was getting flats all the time. Part That was another thing. I'm sorry, Chad. Also part of the $600, he got all new tires because he was getting flats all the time. And then I was explaining to him that, you know, tubeless actually can help you get less flats. That's, like, one of the whole points of it. And so on and so on. And I said, you know, I can install it for you next time I'm home. If that's what you want to do, think about it, blah, 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 blah. But again, the bike shop didn't tell him any of this type of stuff, either when he bought the bike or after the service, which either is because they're busy and they don't have time and they don't think about that stuff. Or even more sinister, like in Randy's case, it's like, yeah, we're not going to tell him how to bed in the brakes because maybe he'll mess them up and need another replacement. I say this all the time in my profession you just have to do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, it'll all work out and it'll all come around. And we wonder why we have trust issues in the bike industry. This is just a prime example why. Yeah. And I guess my point about the LA Sprint, or I'm sorry, 
the, the new LA-based model is that it's not the LA's fault. It's not Specialized's fault. And Specialized probably shouldn't have done anything different. It seems like Specialized put together a very good product. As much as we've been down on Specialized on this show lately, it seems like they put together a very good product at a good price point for what the consumers need that's going to function well, has upgrade potential. There's all kinds of good stuff about this, but not their fault. But the way the bike industry is moving, the way bikes are going there's more and more in opportunities for this type of breaking the trust activity to happen within the bike industry, which I guess in the long term we're going to either have, it's going to go one way or the other. It's either, it's either going to break completely or it's going to, the, the industry is going to make a shift and make it better. I don't know what you guys think about that, but it seems like it seems to me like we're heading a little bit the wrong direction and something's going to have to correct it one way or the other. So at least from the standpoint, you know, I had lobbied against the disc brake <laughs> initially because of price, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that, that sub $3,000 bike category, and they've nailed it on the head, in my opinion. At least Specialized has. I would assume Trek will follow mm-hmm. with a Demont AL or something very similar in Cannondale, I think, has an Optimo that will probably come along. So I have I have faith that everybody else is going to have a sub $2,000 quality tiagra like spec mm-hmm. bike so i think that's a good thing um the, you know the story hopefully it's more of a case of this guy saw your dad and went you know if this were my dad's bike what all would i have done to it and maybe he did the same thing yeah, yeah maybe your dad. he would have done to his own dad i want to let's end on a positive yep. note for this topic i'm gonna go with that um if that's the case great but i think the thing is with all the parts that your dad had replaced which his is a higher end right it's like a yeah, gi2 yeah. bike mm-hmm. um Everything he had replaced would have been the same parts that could have been replaced on uh, Tiagra yep. LA, right? There was a difference in the repair bill, and I do think six hundred dollars of repair on an eighteen hundred dollar bike is. Yep. You probably would flip yep. out. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. If this is your first bike going back in the store, so that's that's somewhat disappointing, and you know maybe they wouldn't have if it didn't need it all. Maybe there is a point where they say. At an $1,800 bike, maybe it just needs a change. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's one of the things Eric excluded from his story is this Diverge is a DI2. So, like, bike shops telling him he wore out a DI2 cassette in 2,000 miles? Yeah, well, the the thing that they he told me is they said that the cassette wore out in a few places, Chad, likely due to how he was shifting. I'm like, it's a DI2 bike. I mean, it's supposed to shift. I, um, I mean, I guess uh, there are some you know, mechanics you can go through on a road bike to shift it better or move it more smoothly. But I mean, come on. Yeah. I, I, that, I mean, there's possible if your dad was like standing, yeah. climbing, shifting, he could have really kind of rounded off some of the teeth, but I'm going to bet with his weight and where he rides, which is probably more of the yeah. flatter areas of Pittsburgh, probably not the case with a DI2 bike. Probably at most, the bike did probably maybe need to mm-hmm. chain at 2,000 miles. I could yep. that. And at that point, if it needed a cassette because it was that bad, I would suspect it would need chain rings as well to match. Maybe not, but I guess I'm thinking my shop probably would have just put a new chain and maybe put the cassette and chain rings in the parts washer and cleaned them up and put them back on the bike. And it probably would shift brand new at that point. I don't know what to say about the, the disc brake parts without having seen the front. If your dad is heavily on the rear, but... I'll leave it at that. I'm again. I'm going to go back to my story. He did for the bike what he would have done for his own father. Yeah, bike. hopefully. That's, 
I'm gonna say. Hey, this I'm one. I'm happy that he's got a nice, well-functioning bike for sure. I'm obviously grateful for that. And but I think, like I told, I actually told my dad this. I said, you know, if someone bought an entry-level bike and they were a young person that was just starting out in the sport, and they had a $600 repair bill, like you said, Chad, that would be that would be quite probably quite a shock, and it would probably turn them off to cycling, like we've talked about. And that's not what we're trying to... I don't think that's what we're trying to have happen here. We want people to get into cycling and stick with it, not say, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is worse than my car. I can't I can't have another machine like this. I need to just, you know, find something else. Like, worst case, they're like, you know, running doesn't have all this equipment. I'm going to do that. I mean, that would be terrible, right? I mean, we definitely don't want that. <laughs> And how do you how do you how do you tell your parents you're a runner then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's not a conversation you want to have. Jeez. <laughs> All right. Anyone got anything else? I have a factoid. Oh, do you? Oh, you have a factoid. All right. Let's go. Like, does it involve triathletes? <laughs> uh Roval's fastest wheel is known as the Rapido in South America. What? <laughs> that was the worst factoid we've ever had on this show. Yeah, That's... Randy and Chad are, Chad are on board, so. <laughs> I think that's the tap. Uh, that's the tap talking. <laughs> that is the tap. So, hey, hey, speaking of, yeah, you did have, I mean, you did have a few vodkas, Mike, but you know, I'm disappointed, Mike. Go real quick. You, you had the vodka fuel. Go on Strava real quick. You got your phone? I, I'm, I'm, I have all my Stravas open right now. I'm looking check, at yours. Mine, check my uh, ride. Check yeah. my ride. Check my max speed. Were, were you rapido? <laughs> <laughs> you what do you got, uh, Mike? 28.5. Yeah, where were you? We were supposed to hit 28 on the way home. Remember, we discussed that. I turn uh, around, you're not there. I, you know, I don't remember discussing the 28.5 on my bad. <laughs> we did. Remember, because TJ hit that on the downhill. Oh, that's right. Right, and we were supposed remember, we said we were going to hit 28 on the way. I even texted well, Chad. I, I thought you were talking about specifically about the KOM, but I don't no. know which KOM. Okay. Nope. I was talking oh, about, oh. you know what? I, I do want to give TJ a shout out. That dude jumped on my wheel and stuck there for a hot minute. That was impressive. Yeah. You know, when yeah. we, we knew better when we saw you pulling away <laughs> and we all said, I'm not going to try to stick on his wheel. And TJ went for it. And I thought he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He did good well, though. I'm gonna give him a was, shout out. He did I was, good. I was very, I was very impressed with Heck him yeah. picking on your wheel for as long as he did. Heck yeah. We, and for reference, Mike is totally correct. I mean, we all were like, "That's not happening." See ya. <laughs> Chad, Chad, you'd appreciate this. This is my most expensive tap experience oh, ever. Because while, while we were there, I bought carbon mountain bike wheels for my mountain bike. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that while drinking at the tap. <laughs> well, yeah, he hadn't I begun. I know he hadn't even started you. drinking yet. Oh, man. We, we tried to convince him to buy a whole bike, but then he backed out. <laughs> Ryan. I keep telling you, the gear for Leadville is not going to matter. Just as Eric Ride said, your, your bike. bike. Ryan's well, my... average, uh, his weighted average power for the night was 230. Mine was 188. <laughs> I just love 
I just love that Strava said that Mike and Ryan rode together, but Eric is his own like little separate feed. Like <laughs> he was there, but didn't ride with those two. Yeah. Oh man. To be fair, my All current right. mountain bike wheels are like two thousand grams. I mean, you're American. Who in America weighs anything in grams? What was the last time? Like, boy, my bike's two thousand grams more than mine. Who cares how much grams your wheels are? Because you're taking twenty pounds of nutrition. I, how many it, grams of nutrition that's a, that's are you taking? Grams. Exactly. I got to offset the weight of my nutrition. Oh man. <laughs> All right, well, that's enough. Randy, I see you in here twice on Strava. What's going oh, on? Boy. Oh trying to, boy! Oh, my <laughs> He's trying to catch oh, no. up. He's got the watch and the, the head unit. He's trying to catch well, up. On our I way through Manhattan, we saw one of those. What are they called, Mike? An Isuzu. Uh, cross. Chad probably loves those things. And I was like, oh man, those are really rare. And Mike goes, yeah, I've seen more of those than I have Randy on a bike this year. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is my third, this is my third day in a row riding. Oh man. That's awesome. You Randy, did good though. You did good. Didn't you ride home from work today, Randy? Yesterday. Yesterday. I rode to and from work yesterday. See? And what, what's it each way? 30 miles. That's legit. Yeah. That's a legit. What he didn't tell you is what he didn't tell you is his work laptop fell out of his bag and shattered. <laughs> it's completely, <laughs> completely smashed. Wow. Wait a minute. What is the story we're actually telling it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a trick. Well, see, the nice thing is, is that I don't have to actually tell them anything. I said, it's, you know, I need a new laptop. So they magically produced me a new laptop today. Good for you, man. <laughs> you Good for you. <laughs> You said you need a new laptop, and you hand them the two pieces. <laughs> I don't. Have to, I don't have to justify myself to them. <laughs> okay. Good for you. All right. I think I, we're going to call it quits here. We're going to. We're going to cut it off. We're going to call it a night. I'm good. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the show. We hope that all of you out there will subscribe to this podcast. That you will give us a rating and review, and tell your friends about it. So they can learn more about why they need to have multiple bikes of the same spec, but just in different colors. I mean, I think that's a great lesson that you want your friends and family and everyone that you care about to learn. So please tell them about our show so they can learn more cool and exciting stuff like that. Sign up for Randy's uh, weekly uh, email list that says the same thing. Absolutely. All right, guys. Good show. Talking about bikes. Thinking about bikes. Talking about bikes. Hey, have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.